to Chapter Tactics. This is your 40k podcast that focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I am your host, PD Pob, and with me I have our three regular co-hosts, Skari from Scardcast. Hi, hello everyone. Brandon, the 2019 ITC champion Grant. Always good to be back, Pablo. And Peter, the Stats Falcon, Colissimo. Bork, bork. That was a good Stats Falcon call. Mm. I like that better. You've been working on it. Yep, trying my best. All right. Now, if you listened to the, or if you read the title already, you know what this episode's all about. It's actually a not very descriptive title because I haven't created it yet. Uh, but hopefully by now, uh, the, uh, the title will have explained a lot more. However, if I somehow didn't do a good job explaining it, this episode we're going to be talking about stats, the MetaWatch article that came out in Warhammer Community. Uh, we might sprinkle in a little bit of our predictions about Dark Eldar, Blood Angels, Dark Angels, and Death Guard that are coming out. Um, but mostly we're going to focus on that stats article because I think there's a lot of good stuff uh, going on with the stats in that article. And, you know, we have we have a thousand games now, at least. Right, Peter? To analyze in ninth edition. Yeah, about 6,000. Um, about 6,000. Thousands. Just, just from the GTs. And uh, really, if you go even deeper, I've got access to probably about 12,000 more. Um, there's lots out there, and it's all pretty, uh, pretty cool to see. Yeah, and so I think it's safe to say there's there's some sort of meta developing for us to analyze and kind of poke and prod at. Uh, we're seeing the cream rise to the top, uh, and you know we're seeing what factions maybe need a little bit of love, what units and models people are taking and avoiding. And so we're going to talk about that, and we're also going to talk about uh, a fun online tournament going on uh, by a little small user called Magikarp Used Fly. So we're going to talk about their their kind of in-house tournament that's going on. It's not cutting-edge competitive stuff. However, I've always been fascinated by the idea of a local meta and of evaluating win conditions even when your your path to victory is suboptimal. So like using an example for Magic the Gathering, uh, when you play in limited format in Magic the Gathering, you have to draft your deck. You're given random cards. And so... In one hand, it's difficult because you're not given your full, efficient card pool that you have. You have limited resources to work with. But on the other hand, I feel like it kind of puts everyone at an equal footing uh, because you don't have people spending, you know, one grand, two grand on decks uh, for the best possible decks because you, you, everyone's kind of has this random luck chance. And I feel like when I first started playing Warmer 40k, I felt like that was the way it was when I played with my friends. We were all we were all trying to be as competitive as we could, but we didn't have the resources to buy the models we needed to. We didn't have the know-how, the knowledge to do well. Uh, and so we developed kind of a pocket meta where, you know, my friend's Tyranid list and his Swarmlord were absolutely destroying us. And we all had to, you know, take time to try and beat him, even though later I found out the Swarmlord was awful. Uh, and so I really like that idea. So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, take a couple of matches from their tournaments that have not happened yet. We're going to talk about the lists, talk about how to make those lists better within those factions. And then we're going to talk about win conditions and predict how the matchup is going to play out between those two lists. So if you're looking for cutting edge lists from those factions, this probably isn't the episode for you. However, if you're looking to improve your game uh, learning to identify win conditions, to talk about what what's good secondary choice to identify threats on your opponent's lists, 
etc., etc., this will be a great episode for you. All right, lots to talk about. Before we move on, no plugs. If you live in the U.S., we have a little holiday called Thanksgiving. It's happening right now as you listen to the podcast. Uh, and the just want to take a quick second to say that I'm thankful for to all you wonderful listeners, to the patrons, to everyone who supported me and us and the network along the way. Uh, it's been, you know, four years now, going on four years, um, and it's just it's it's been a real nice addition to my life, and uh, I I hope to do it, you know, for as long as I possibly can. And so thank you all, uh, and I hope you enjoy your Thursday and your Black Friday weekend and all of that good stuff. All right, time to talk stats. Couldn't have said it better myself, buddy. Cue the NFL music, all that good stuff. The MetaWatch article, Do if you're driving, don't do this, but do yourself a second. If you haven't read it yet, go to Warhammer Community. Look up the MetaWatch stats article. It was written by uh, Mike Brandt, Val... I guess Mike Brandt wrote the article and then... Val and Peter contributed basically Mm-mm, the rest of the no, content. No. I have no idea, actually. Negative. Peter. I have no what? idea, Peter. Pablo. It's going to Pablo. come to everyone. So Mike wrote an intro and an outro, but really, <laughs> it was <laughs> Val just... Heffelfinger that oh. handled the article. He okay. messaged me and was like, what are stats? And I explained them. But he's, like, Val Val is the driving force behind the majority of this article, other than a small paragraph at the beginning and a small parag- uh, and a small paragraph at the end. Um, so all the props to him um, for putting this together and making it happen. But that explains all of the colors because of, you know, his... his oh, there was also a guy, like Todd Button or something, I don't know what his name is, um, that, like, does graphics. Um, I'm oh, assuming okay. his name is Todd Button. Todd, and- Todd, thank you, Todd. Yeah. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, I apologize. Uh, an article is put out by Warmer Community, the Warmer Community team, m- featuring Val Heffelfinger heavily, and Peter, as well. So moving on. So th- this article talked about a lot of interesting things. It talked about stat usage uh, in analyzing um, stats from you know over six thousand forty k tournaments that happened in ninth edition alone. Or so it, it it was a very large sample size. And if you're unfamiliar with how forty k stat center and the network works, uh, Falcon and the Falcon and Val do go in there with these stats and they analyze and talk about you know, what's trending, what people are bringing, what units people are bringing. And so this, these stats are usually a, a great resource that we all kind of look at um, to kind of look at snapshots of the meta and look at what people are bringing. However, this year, it's been a little, been a little uh, dry on the stats. You know, we haven't had a lot of tournaments lately. Um, so that's why these stats are so important uh, because they are well and truly the first big stats of ninth edition. Um, so we're finally getting an idea of what the ninth edition meta would look like, uh, and it's it's pretty cool. It's really interesting. I think there's a lot of good stuff here. Okay, so first question. I'm just gonna open the discussion roundtable to anyone who wants to answer it. What is what are some things about the usage of factions specifically? So not their win rates, um, but the usages that kind of jumped out at you. Uh, you know, there was obviously Imperium's the most popular faction. Uh, Space Marines make up 33% of the meta, like they pretty much always have. Mm. Is there anything surprising here at all that jumped out to any of you? Yes, I'll start. So the first thing that stood out to me was that 
all of the factions averaged over every event are relatively even in popularity. That was surprising to me, because in local metas, you'll go to an event with 10 players and three of them will be playing Chaos. And in your local meta, you're like, wow, Chaos is a really popular army. But I guess internationally, every army is reasonably as popular as every other army. At least in terms of the super factions, yes. Yeah, like if you look at it, over half of the factions are Imperium. Over half the players play them, 55 to 55. Um, we now have, if you add, if you include every codex supplement as its own codex, which really they do have, you know, as much rules as anybody else's codex does, um, then yes, Space Marines, 33% of the meta. To be fair, um, to just correct Pablo, like early in 8th when they were, when they had that first uh, Space Marine codex, Space Marines were only 5% of the meta, but once oh, they yeah, split they... out into the supplements, it blew up, right? Excuse me. Yeah, you're right. And then, you know, chaos is roughly equal to what it's supposed like to what we would think based on how many chaos codexes there are. So yeah, the representation is very interesting. When you get into the nitty gritty, there are some factions that are, you know, played more than others. Recently in particular with the Necron Codex supplement uh, not supplement, Necron Codex, we've seen a huge spike uh for them. They they had been running like less than one percent of the meta as people waited for their codex to come out, and now they are, you know, seven, seven point five percent um in recent tournaments because um, that codex is considered a pretty hot commodity. Harlequins have skyrocketed from week to week to week to week um, as people have realized just how strong they are and how weak the Craft World Codex is. Um, we've kind of seen them slowly eat away from the uh, Drukhari and Craft World um, sections and, and kind of come into their own as now one of, if not the most popular faction to be played right now in tournaments. It is kind of interesting how that happens with Eldar, right? The Eldar Codex is fluctuated more with the additions i feel than any other faction uh you know with the dawning of anari when they were really popular and then before anari craft world eldar uh it it really much feels like eldari players uh tend to be the most flavor of the month you know meta chasers um with the exception of dark eldar players who generally i see have a consistent following and that's probably because of, of years of years of neglect from gw um uh, you know, dark. I'd say dark elder players are like the black templar players of Eldar. Uh, yeah, Scar, well, it's not exactly. It was fourteen years worth of waiting, which uh, <laughs> just kind of tempered our. Uh... And for anybody who doesn't know, that's fourteen years between the third edition codex and the fifth edition codex. Yes, which essentially was the time that we had to wait for uh, <laughs> for that to happen. And and then from fifth edition to seventh edition, when they got rid of the Baron. Yeah, the Baron and uh, all the fun stuff. There's no fun stuff left. No, um, no, it's it's uh, it's fine. It's fine. That's what I tell myself when I go to sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I say that because we're you know at the beginning of Eighth Edition, Dark Eldar were really good. Uh, with you know Cabal of the Blackheart, specifically Dark Eldar and mixed Eldar lists. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then now we have Harlequins rising to the top. And now Harlequins, since they've been released, have always been. A uh, very niche, low played army. They they were never they were never the most played Eldar faction army. They they were popular and they were really good at certain points, um, with particularly high T whip scores. But now they've absolutely you know six percent play rate uh, makes up the majority of Eldar lists that you see, um, which is which is for Harlequins is huge. 
That's yeah. like all like all, more than a six hundred percent increase. Yeah, they they if you look at their play in eighth, um, they like you said they did have a very good T whip, very good win percentages generally. People that played primary Eldar or mono faction Eldar didn't pull in a lot of wins. Um, but what we've seen um, with ninth is as people have figured out you know how to play the game, how to play to the mission, they're just so good at it. And Craftworld Eldar is not. And Drukhari struggles. So they've, you know, tripled uh, Drukhari play. They've tripled uh, Craftworld play. And they've kind of come into their own as, like, the preeminent knifier faction. Um, and for good reason. They are absolutely devastating um, in, in every metric. And they just keep getting better. As After the Space Marine Codex uh, came out, uh, Harlequins are, are the top faction right now. Although we don't have a lot of games post-Marine Codex to really, you know, drill down. They do look extra good. All right. Brandon, is there anything that's kind of struck out at you? I already mentioned how every faction is reasonably well represented. Um, I also felt that, at least in my personal experience, maybe it's because you see them more at top tables, and you can speak to this if the stats hold true, but it felt like half the meta sometimes is Space Marines, and that wasn't the case. I mean, it's... A third, so it's not like it's that it's that uh, that far off. Um, what I will say is when you when you yes when you do look at like uh, the top level performers, um, early on salamanders were all over the place. Um, they have slowly ebbed out, um, af- particularly after the marine codex dropped. Um, they took a couple small nerfs, but it was enough to make other versions just better. Um, White scars have been very consistent throughout as a very top level performing space marine army. Um, and then you have kind of the rest, right? Salamanders and White Scars were the ones kind of carrying the flag, and everybody else has been kind of middling up until very recently. In the last couple of weeks, we've seen Ultramarines um, really skyrocket from being one of the worst um, power armor supplements to um, being one of the best a number of really uh, top table, uh, like probably what, three or four top four performances, I want to say, in the last week or two. So just really, really strong uh, showings from them. One thing I have noticed out of Space Marines um, that I think I find kind of interesting is that I feel like every they have a lot more viable options, but that's not because the supplements are different and unique and give you a lot of choices. I mm-hmm. think it's just because the best Marine units are so clearly obvious yes. that everyone's taking them. So Blade Guard veterans, Outrider bikes, the the stupid ATB Mario Karts, you know, Apothecaries. And that's um that's actually something I've had a, a lot of conversations with people about. Um early in the edition in ninth, and you know, basically since the the last Marine Codex, there was a, a definitive separation between each supplement. Uh, like Iron Hands lists played very differently from Imperial Fists, played differently from White Scars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, they all, like you could look and there was a, a definite difference between them. But as you say, and you make a very valid point, what we're seeing is like a, a homogenization for the most part of these factions, um, where everybody's running in scepters because they're too efficient. Everybody's running either Vanguard veterans or Blade Guard veterans or both because they're super efficient. Um like the lists are slowly becoming the same again, which I'm not a super big fan of. And I was, and it's, um, it is a little disappointing. Like there may come a point where there's no use in separating out all the different space Marine factions because that is just what's going to happen. I mean, blood angels still play something slightly different. Dark angels still have their own shtick space wolves, like the ones that were never core to begin with. 
but everybody else seems to now be kind of reliant on the same four or five units, despite their codex being quite good almost across the board. Yeah, and then uh, one other thing uh, that we're going to have to uh, point out, or that I'd like to point out, is the Death Watch usage for stats for this article um, are very outdated. It, I think if the LVO, well, they're not outdated, happen, but um, um, well, like the the supplement only just dropped, right? Like that, yeah, the yeah, stats let, from that are as right. new as could be. You're right. Right. Let me. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> Peter. That was my mistake. Let me go ahead and clarify my statement. Uh, the these Death Watch stats are going to change. Yeah, they had I would no predict in the next few months. Um, if the LVO were to happen, which it's looking, if you listen to signals yesterday, uh, you'll know that the LVO is most likely not going to happen now. Um, we're still up in the air. There's probably going to be an official statement sometime next week on signals. Either way, if the LVO were to happen, if we were to have, you know, this big thousand person event and other events around it, I would imagine Death Watch would shoot, to, shoot up to the top three most used Space Marine lists. Um, probably along with Blood Angels. It's it's hard to say. Um, a lot of the Death Watch power comes from those Indometer squads. At least that's what people seem to be like looking at. And there's no heavy intercessor kit, right? So you're going to have to do some kit bashing. Blood Angels, you know, their index versus their codex, uh, from what we've seen, doesn't look to be hugely different. And they haven't been performing, surprisingly. I thought they would because of how strong Sanguinary Guard are. Maybe just Blood Angels players other than like Thomas Hagstromoki are just awful in general. Just like terrible, terrible players. Oh, I be, doubt that. Make me sad. I, I did talk about meta chasers with the Eldar. Um, Space Marines are very much the kings will, of that. <laughs> oh yeah, we will. We will see. We will see a. You know, if there is a faction that rises to the top, we will very quickly see it on the Space Marine side. If it's Dark Angels, we're going to see blue Dark Angels. If it's White Scars, we're going to see blue Scars. Um, so I'm predicting that Death Watch hop into that conversation. Um, but you know, there's actually is no way to know. Good, Brandon, I think. Sure. I'm curious to see what happens as well. I mean, especially in the case of Dark Angels, I was already seeing some very strong combinations for them. So the fact that they're getting an update right now, um, I would be very surprised if they don't become Tier 1. All right. They, um, if, just to, to add to that, if we look at, um, if we split some of these stats up and we do look at like what happened post-index Space Marines um, and Space Marine Codex, um, Dark Angels are by far the most, well, Dark Angels and Necrons are the most um, uh, improved, and Dark Angels just have an index, right? They're sitting at about a 53% win rate. Pr- prior to getting their index, they were in the like mid to low 30s consistently, and not just in like GT play. When you pulled RTT data... Um, or data from the ITC Battles app, they were they were at the bottom consistently across the board. Craftworld Eldar, Dark Angels, and Necrons. So to have two of the worst factions just jump um, is a really good sign for the meta. It has been yeah. really good to see, especially as an outside viewer looking in, looking at all these different tournaments. And I'm talking like, well, not as many as there normally are, but, no, but the ones a that good amount. are out there, right? Um, seeing the variety of not only factions, but lists, that are doing well. Um, it's really nice to see. Dark Angels and Necrons have also been getting a lot of publicity uh, in general. You know, Dark Angels got that big boost when the FAQ dropped, um, and everyone you know freaked out about the Terminators and the Inner Circle getting that, yeah, buff, which, nice. which is really good, by the way. It's not people, people, you know. I say people freaked out, but it was a very, very good change for them, um, and it de- I think they definitely needed it. Uh, but Necrons and Dark Angels have been getting a lot of 
press and a lot of publicity from you know people like us uh reese is starting a dark angels army um there are various youtubers talking about necrons and dark angels and what's good um and I think that is also a driving force as well, uh, because we don't have tournament results to go off of. So content creators do have a lot more um, influence than they have in the past. Uh, so like Richard Siegler, for instance, picking up Necrons uh, and talking about them would have a bigger impact on the faction as well. Also, Necrons got the Silent King, which cool models never hurt a faction's usage. Well, especially all. a cool model that's also extremely competitive, really like all yes. of the top uh, Necron lists are taking him in one form or another, whether it's for Silver Tide or for like a mid-table close combat army. Like he's he's around. Yeah, oh, yeah. He, he's definitely part of that meta. Uh, one thing I want to uh, kind of want to uh, highlight before we move on is uh, Death Guard have by far the highest usage rate um, in Chaos, seven percent. The next highest is four point four percent. That's regular Chaos Space Marines. Um, now I'm pretty sure. That's not that that if we were to reanalyze in three months, that definitely would not be the case because, but well, but we don't know because of the Death Guard supplement. So I guess my question to you, Peter, and everyone else is, do you think because they have a low win rate right now, do you think Death Guard are going to keep up that high usage, or do you think more and more people are going to start switching over to those crazy chaos demon lists that we're seeing? It's it's very interesting. Like Death Guard were extreme. Like they were hyped a lot at the beginning of the di- at the edition, and not yes. like not for no reason. They 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 are a very strong army. But what we're seeing is that um, they're a strong army with only a couple of builds that really function in the in the edition um, into this the other strong stuff. And um, there's a lot of players that play Death Guard that have Death Guard armies because there was a starter army in eighth. Um, and they're kind of coming out of the woodwork. So, yes, they have a low uh, win rate. But if you look at their T-Whip, if you look at their average first round loss, it's not that bad. They are very reminiscent of Orcs um, in 8th edition, where Orcs consistently um, had you know a, a sub-50% win rate, um, but yet at one point um, had the most tournament uh, undefeated uh, of any faction in the game. Like, and that was, you know, in a in a time when TJ Lanigan and Jim Bessel were carrying it for uh, chaos. It was still Orcs that was was on top. Um, so, it, like, there are good Death Guard players that are making it work. It's not really mono faction Death Guard. Y- you do need a little bit of Nurgle assistance, whether that be from Nurglings or for uh, Great Unclean ones to to uh, bring back your mephitic blight haulers and plague burst crawlers but like like they're still a legit army and with a codex coming if plague marines really do go to two wounds like you would assume they like they can only get better so i would still put them as a a very uh an army you need to watch and i don't think they're going to lose popularity um once their codex comes uh, codex comes out but you're right. Demons are like extraordinarily powerful, um, particularly Slanesh and those like mixed uh, uh, lists that rely on Big Bird. They're just—it's just, it's just a, such a good army. Yeah, they're 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 really really strong right now. Uh, now, final question before we move on. Uh, Brandon sisters are creeping up in usage. They're at three point three percent. They were at less than three percent the beginning of edition, and in eighth edition they were at a measly one to two percent. So they've been increasing. Do you think in six months they're going to surpass Astro Militarum in usage? Because Astro Militarum's at 4.2% and Sisters are at 
and traditionally, Astro Militarum are one of the most represented factions. That's a tough prediction to make, but the nice thing about the Imperial faction is that everything allies together. So it's very easy if you own a guard army to ally in another Imperial faction and gradually build a collection. This is by design. So right now, even in my guard group, we're discussing things, and a lot of lists look better when you just throw some melee space marines in them, or when you throw some melee sisters in them. Like, some of my favorite Imperial soup lists are Bloody Rose Repentia combined with Imperial Guard right now. So depending on how many points you put into each faction, I could very easily see a lot of guard players building a small sisters collection into eventually having more than 50% of their army as sisters. So yeah, I think it's entirely plausible that in, let's call it 9 to 12 months time, you'll see more sisters than guard, at least until guard get a new codex. All right. Awesome. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and move on to uh, win percentages now. This is now generally um, this is a stat that can be a little misleading. Um, you know, a like Peter talked about earlier, there can be um, factions that have really good players that bring up the win percentage of a faction or the T whip of a faction, but the faction in general might have a low win percentage because. Uh, you know, because just because there's so many players like orcs, for instance. Um, so take these with a grain of salt. Uh, however, generally, there's usually the usually like the in the top five win percentage factions. Usually, three of those, two or three of those, are just really good. Like they're clearly better than the rest, and their win percentage is actually a reflection of that. So let's go ahead and talk about that. Uh, at a win percentage ratio, you have uh, right now Harlequins at sixty percent win ratio. That's that's impressive. Sixty percent is um, very high. Borderline, borderline. Like this needs to get nerfed immediately, hot fixed. Followed by Salamanders with a sixty percent win rate, uh, Demons at fifty seven, and then um, White Scars at fifty five, and then they kind of trail off from there a little bit. Oh, and Black Templars, have, but the Black Templars have like. 10 games played periods or something silly. So it's so. a statistical anomaly. Uh, Black Templars are Ben Cherwin. We're just, we're just, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. literally we're just, just him. really good at playing the game. That's, that's it's, what it is. It's, what it is I mean, is it's Ben Cherwin push, and Starry, Starry If you know how to play amazing. Devout Push, um, then you're just going to win games. And if you're also a good player and you know how to use Devout Push for all the, like, shady things it can do, you're just going to win more games. So, you know, having, like, Ben Cherwin be, I think he's... 17 of these 23 wins, I want to say, um, it, dev- it doesn't hurt. Like, it doesn't hurt your stats when the majority of them are one guy. <laughs> That's so funny. But Ben's, um, also carry- Ben's also a good player, too. So I mean, yes, he's been a, a good player for a while in general. He played Eldar last edition, and then he switched to Grey Knights, and then he switched to Black Templars, and he's been playing them uh, basically since Ninth started. But yeah, you're right. And the thing is, I, uh, I think with uh, Ninth edition so far, most of these win rates with the exception of um, you have to really get down to like renegade knights before you look at a win rate and say, mm, I don't know if that's because they're 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 where they're supposed to be or, or what, um, because the rest, they, they generally even out. If you look at every other metric we have to kind of, to look at a, a faction success, Harlequins at a 60%, like you said, this is definitely, if this had been mid eighth edition and I said a faction was at 60%, like I would be actively like messaging Reese, like you need to do something about it. 
I think the thing right now with Space Marines having kind of blown up to being a third of the meta, having a third of the codexes available to them, it really can skew a lot of these numbers where factions that are actually just good at dealing with a faction that's that takes up that much space, um, they're going to skew their results as well. So Harlequins, if you break out their faction versus faction statistics, they have a 70% win rate against every type of power armor. Like not just like a Jesus. specific type of Marine, like any Marine codex supplement you want to throw at me, anything with a three plus armor save as in general, 70% win rate for Harlequins. So... Like that right there is going to spike their numbers dramatically when you're when one third of their games at least are going to be into one of these factions. It's just going to help um, so much. Yeah, and they it, also have a six. They, they also there's a lot of them too. There's a lot of Harlequin players playing them. Yeah. Harlequins on top of having the high win percent. Exactly, and then you look at Salamanders. They were kind of like kings of of the mountain for the majority, like basically until the Space Marine Codex dropped. Um, they had a, they could take advantage of a lot of the things Ninth had offered with uh, the old Eighth Edition Codex. Chaos Demons have kind of been the surprise, I think, for a lot of people. People thought the Nurglings would be a good list, but they didn't know about everything else. And it turns out that yes, um, if you can get into your opponent's deployment zone with your entire army, turn one, you might just win games. Um, that yeah, sounds pretty good. I want to talk about Gene Stealer Colts here. So out of all the um, win, the uh, positive win percentage factions, Gene Stealer Colts are actually sitting at a really healthy 53% win percentage. That's that's actually pretty solid uh, considering where Gene Stealer Colts are as a faction right yeah, now. Yeah, that's pleasantly uh, surprising. And there's not, I understand there's there's less than 2% of the field is Gene Stealer Colts, so there's there's not a large percentage of the Gene Stealer Colt players playing. Um, but they've got... Uh, They've got an OKT whip ratio. Um, is it is Genestar Colts being carried by just a few players, or are they just putting up really solid results? Well, I'm gonna. I would I'll say go I would argue it's oh, like. Sorry, go ahead, man. No, you go ahead, Scary. No, you. No, you. No, this is a Canadian oh, standoff. It's a Canadian. No. Oh, God damn, he beat me to it. <laughs> um, not again. Not again. No, it's um. Uh, like I know, like for example, Alex McDougal and Dustin Henschel, you know, two like very very good players. Like there's still people out there playing Gene Circle, but they're really kind of honing into some of the more nuanced, like aspects of playing the faction. Mainly, you know, like the deployment shenanigans and the board control stuff, and then really sort of like cashing in a lot of these weapon changes, especially things like hand flamers, going from like. Um, going from 12 inches to, like, crazy inches. <laughs> going to crazy inches. Going from 6 inches to crazy inches. Yeah, just to to, to kind of further that. At 1.3% of the meta, there's only been, like, 25 people that have played Gene Stiller Cults um, in 9th edition in terms of GT st- uh, status, so it only does take a couple people to really spike their results. Um, we've seen Clifton Russell put up some good numbers, uh, Alex McDougal, a few others. Generally, um, there's two lists that are working. They're very skewed. One is a, like a jackal list that's mostly bikes, and the other one is like, let's see how many acolytes I can fit in a list with a little bit of tyranid support in the back, forces the hive mind style. Um, and those lists, like they put up, I think they put up results the same reason that like orcs are capable of doing it, um, where there are they put up just enough punch 
that they can clear off objectives when they need to, and they have enough bodies that these other armies that are built to deal with elites more than to deal with uh, hordes, um, they just can't kill them fast enough. So at the end of the game, even though they might only have like one or two units left, that first four rounds, they were maxing their primary, they were maxing their secondaries, so it doesn't matter. Um, and that's kind of what we're seeing with a lot of these like uh, these horde-style armies, is that's what they're going for now, is... is um, playing the mission by flooding the board and just hoping to survive to the end with just enough punch that they can deal with the the um, the one or two units your opponent may have that can put out a lot of firepower versus you know the the concentrated stuff that we're used to seeing with like eradicators or multi-melta attack bikes all right now um moving from the top of the list to uh, to the middle of the list to the kind of bottom of the list uh, uh, the first thing I want to ask you all about is Necrons. So Necrons are sitting at a 46% win ratio, which is pretty pretty suboptimal. Um, how much of it is is it, do you think people... Because it is a popular faction. People are flocking to it. I've been in the Necron page, the Necron, the like the big Necron Facebook page officially for for a couple months now. And it's been growing exponentially. People, people are coming in and literally asking like the same four questions from a competitive standpoint. Um, the questions are like, like Necron Reapers for the Warriors or the the Goss or, you know, like they're basic questions that, that you kind of all, you kind of have to ask um, when you're building a Necron list. So how much of those, those Necron lists do you think is just new players, like just running in Dominus models and just praying uh, or players holdovers from old, the old Necron codex and eighth edition um, who are not performing well, who are maybe stubbornly sticking to their doom sites and doomsday arcs. Um, or do you think there might actually be a serious, issue with the the faction that maybe it's just maybe it's still just a one trick pony kind of faction but this time the pony is the silent king i i feel like um you're close i feel like when it comes to space marines their models are good enough on their own that you can just take the new stuff and if, as long as you have enough really efficient models that have really large threat ranges and hit really hard you're gonna have a good time it doesn't need to be super super optimized but I feel like with Necrons, if you're not super optimizing the list, i.e. hitting that one build, then it's just okay. It's not great. So I feel like Necrons are a much more synergistic army than Space Marines in that they generally are not having one unit go off on its own without friends, especially with the new Necron Lord abilities and their benefits. I feel like it's going to be a little while before people figure out all the tricks that Necrons can bring. So one thing I would say to this is that that number can be a little deceiving unless you get really into the nitty-gritty of it. Necrons, prior to their Codex release, had a 38% win rate. Um, they made up 3% of the meta. They were generally either newer players that, and you know, because I look at every list, they were generally newer players bringing Indominus stuff um, that wasn't really synergistic. Um, or they were older players that were trying to find something that worked with their old codex, at least until something else came out, right? Um, and everybody knew that a Necron codex was coming. So what we've seen since is Necrons are currently at a 54% win rate, if you look at only the dates, like the, the tournaments that included their codex. Uh, they make up almost 8% of the meta now. And uh, they're not doing too bad. They've had two undefeateds at tournaments, 
at GT level events since their codex came out. The Silent King, uh, like in a quote unquote Silver Tide list, appears very viable. There are other lists that are kind of coming out. I think Brandon's hit the nail on the head where this isn't a, an army that's as easy to build as Marines is. Um, we saw it early on, right after the Codex came out, if you paid attention to um, like what some of the top Necron players were saying, or just people, like top players that are picking up the book and trying to give their feedback, um, there, was, uh, there was some dissonance there between what people thought was good and what wasn't. There was kind of an early belief in one build versus another, and then it's slowly been turning and kind of taking shape into maybe the Silent King is the way to go. Initially, a lot of people said it wasn't. He was just like a, a centerpiece unit that you might be good, but probably isn't. And now that's what everybody's reliant on. So I think it's very interesting. I do think Necrons are very good. And this is just one of those cases where you can't just look at the number. You have to dive a little bit deeper. Yeah, that's a good point on the dissonance too that you talk about, Peter, because this, when you when you talk about dissonance, you weren't talking, you're, you're not talking about like, three youtube comment regulars arguing about whether the silent king is viable or not you're talking about like seasoned tournament players going into this codex and playing games and analyzing it uh not coming up with you know a concrete list you know uh, you know taking the necron players and saying this is the way uh mm-hmm. and then leading them into the promised land and you can still kind of see it now there is i mean you know there's no consensus on the satan in general the nightbringer feels like the consensus but more and more people are moving away from the nightbringer or mm-hmm. at least looking at the void dragon as an option as well i think you do take a satan pretty much but i've seen a couple lists where there were no satan and it's just like a silent king and like a hundred warriors or, or you know whatever like the silver tide list you're talking about so it's it'll be interesting to see going forward where the where the codex stands um, I think it's the most it's one of the more interesting conundrums that that people have had in one playing 40k in a while um, is figuring out the Necron Codex because I, I think it feels really good but the win record isn't there the top tournament wins aren't there it, it just doesn't on paper it just doesn't look like as good of a faction as it should I guess on I think staff wise I will say since it's release I think it's okay I think its numbers are reflective of a competitive codex. We can't like the big thing is we have to be willing to ignore what happened in August, September and October because you know we had 24 events I want to say pre Necron Codex and we've only had uh 5 or 6 post. Um so it's really hard to say, you know, hey, this is what this is a, a good or bad codex without, you know, digging a little deeper. Maybe it's possible that the couple of events where they've done very well are um are the um uh, the exception to the rule, right? Maybe they will regress to mean and the mean will be like a sub fifty percent army. Um or maybe that that regression is just going to uh, go up because uh someone will come up with a list that uh, people will be able to play and it's not going to be too um, finesse. Um, I know like Siegler's looking at a ghost arc list that looks really promising. Maybe that will be what takes off. It's hard to say. It's very similar to like Admech who came into ninth edition as like an S tier army for a lot of people. They performed middling at best for this entire edition. It was only in the last uh, say month that they started getting result after result after result because people kind of finally figured out like what the special spice was um, or finally built the models they needed to make that, uh, that, uh, that that recipe work. So so I have a question for you, Peter. If you break ninth edition 
down into two separate phases where phase one we'll, we'll call phase one like the beginning era slash space marine dominance and now we're in phase two which is you know codex creep right how many games if you had to divide you know all the games played between now and the beginning of the edition how many games would you say have been played in the second phase uh, versus the first phase uh, the first phase had i can tell you exactly um, had about 4,500 games played, 4,500, um, at a GT level. Um, now, in the two and a half years I've been doing this, I usually will not make calls, or I won't be, I won't make firm calls um, until we hit about 4,000. So we kind of just breached the mark where I was comfortable saying, this is where each kind of faction lays out. It was kind of perfect that we would then get a codex right when that happened. Um, so then we get the Marine and Necron codex, and we've only had... Uh, about 1,600 uh, tournament games um, since. So we're only, you know, a third to half of the way um, to where I would be comfortable saying, you know, things have regressed to a point where this is probably where each faction stands. Um, some of the more popular factions, you can probably sit down and say, yes, this is this is legitimately where they should be. Um, like Harlequins, because they didn't move at all, or they they really only went up a little bit. Probably a good sign. They are still the best or one of the best factions in the game. Chaos Demons are the same. Sisters of Battle, you know, where they didn't move a lot. But factions that took giant dips, like Salamanders, that might not be legit, right? Sitting at like a 40-some-odd percent win rate. Um, is that because they got bad? Or is it just because other Space Marines got better? Just nobody's playing them right now. That's where we need more games to really say. Um, but yeah, I would say we had about 4,500 games pre in like the 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 first stage, and we're only about fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred games into stage two. All right, uh, Scarring Brandon, looking at these win rates and uh, just kind of going off of what your favorite factions are and stuff. What what are some kind of things that jump out at you uh, looking at the T whips percentages and the win rates here? The thing that stood out to me, besides Harlequins being at sixty percent, is the vast number of armies that are reasonably viable right now or becoming viable i think that's actually very difficult to do and especially being an old timer now who has gone through many editions where there was no semblance of balance especially if you weren't playing by itc modified rules um i'm impressed so things continue to get better and that's what's standing out to me anyway all right i agree yeah, so in my case, you know, it's I uh it's nice to see people kind of taking to a faction and kind of putting out there and playing and what I think one of the things that I've noticed most about just people playing in general is that because there is a lack of events to sort of shape the way the meta should go in a way, there's not like, you know, the people's creative like agency is what i would say the people's creative agency for building lists has sort of been cranked up to 11 where people are like looking at the books and kind of playing different stuff and it's so it's going to take a little bit longer to sort of solidify the meta per se um in which the people are just like just having a lot of fun yeah that's 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 my thought process is i think just people are being more like liberal with their with their uh, list building. All right. Now, 
uh, if you're listening, if you're reading, listening to this podcast, or if you're reading the stats, um, and you're one of those players who has a sub 50% win rate army, uh, do not fret. Uh, I'm looking at you, you know, Dark Eldar players, no, actually Dark Eldar players are doing pretty good, uh, <laughs> Death Guard players, Dark Angels, Blood Angels. Um, generally, with the exception of 8th edition Space Wolves, generally a faction improves in win percentage after they get their codex. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> space, space Wolves are literally the only faction I've ever seen. Eighth edition one. Space Wolves. They literally in in year multiple editions. Um but so keep that in mind. Uh Necrons like like Peter said Necrons do have a smaller sample size. So um I imagine that they'll float up to 50% win ratio at least. Um you know, you know in another 3000 games uh, as the meta kind of solidifies. Uh so uh you know Keep that in mind, and then looking towards the future, everyone. I want. I just want to know your thoughts on. Do you, Harlequins? They haven't gotten their codex yet. Uh, they are. They right now. They're sitting at a really good win rate. Uh, they're not getting worse. Do you think that GW should address Harlequins, um, or do you think that keeping them in the kind of like Space Marine killer position they're in right now is is not a bad thing? Um, and I ask this because Harlequins are the kind of army that can very easily fold to like like if tau get buffed like imagine if tau shooting just just goes off the charts uh harlequin armies might just drop to that or fold to that or or whatever right um they're the kind of uh fragile army that would would start losing games to just a weird random buff from another faction so are harlequins something that jw should consider nerfing um, and then ditto on uh, demons. And what are your kind of predictions moving forward, going into the next four thousand games played uh, in spring of 2020, 2021, Excuse me. So, really, ask two questions. Uh, the first question is Harlequins. Are they too good? Do they need to be changed? And the answer is possibly, but it depends. Um, it was being pointed out earlier that um, I forget who was saying it. I think it was Peter that Harlequins had a 70% win rate against specifically Space Marines. And that can be okay. So long as if you were playing a Garage Hammer game versus your friend's Harlequins with your Space Marines and you netlisted the perfect counter to his list and he wasn't changing his list and you would win most of the time, that's okay because it means that Marines have the tools they need to deal with Harlequins. If it's an example of the meta marine list gets completely demolished when harlequins build to destroy it i think that's okay um and then we didn't discuss the stats of harlequins versus the rest of the field but if it's above 55 percent, then maybe an adjustment is in order there and um same for chaos demons it would be are they just really good against space marines in particular and space marines are the most common army or is it they're really just good against everyone and maybe they need to be toned down a little, if that makes sense. Yeah, I understand. I understand the what you're saying, um, and it makes sense to me. Falcon and Scary. Scary, so, I'll let you go, and then I'll. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they need to be looked at or toned down. I think the skill cap really makes a big difference when it comes to things like that. Like. The percentage of like win rate is really good, however, like it's super hard to play the faction like very, very well. 
and that's like that's the biggest thing I would look at is it's not easy to play it well. So we, I don't think it really requires, you know, like um like a fine tooth comb or whatever. All right. So I would say for Harlequins, it does. If they need anything, it doesn't need to be much. Um, you can look at if you go to forty kstatscom You can actually just go into faction versus faction stats. Click the drop down for Harlequins. You can see how they perform against each individual codex supplement. You can change the filters if you want to look at power armor or whatever. Um, so you can see exactly like who they perform well against, who they don't. They perform well against the vast majority of armies, um, but it's not a seventy percent win rate against the vast majority. It's like fifty-five or sixty or you know. It's, so it's those are numbers that are are um, a little more acceptable, I would say, for the most part. Um, Imperial Knights don't stand a chance. It's a 100% win rate in the few games they've played against Imperial Knights. They've done well against Necrons, but we know that the majority of Necron data is pre-Codex. Does that stand post-Codex? Hard to say. Um, the one thing I would say is they probably need a tweak somewhere, and it might be Skyweavers. Um, troop bikes, I mean, troop lists are definitely a thing. Like, 50 troops easily can win an event. We've seen it already. Um, but maybe that's where you need to look is look at Skyweavers as like, maybe this is where we take the hit while we wait for a codex increase in points, what have you. Um, and then as to chaos demons, chaos demons are an interesting thing where they really have two builds. Um, and one of them is the Slanesh build. that's just super fast. has, you know, exalted keepers. If you have good terrain, it probably beats most lists, um, outside of like sisters of battle, which have a strong game against chaos demons. Um, or um, you have this kind of uh, mixed list with Nurglings and um, um, Beasts of Nur Nurgle has, you know, a little bit of everything. And that list, I think, needs somebody to take a look at. And that's just the Keeper of Secrets. That Keeper of Secrets has too many buffs you can throw on it at one time um, for free. Like, they just get them for, like, one CP. All of a sudden, it's got a 3++. It rerolls an invulnerable save. It... Um, has a feel no pain that if it succeeds it gains wounds back like all those things make it nearly impossible to kill without an uh, an obscene amount of firepower so it can easily score secondaries for you you can just stand in the middle of the board and score 15 just for you know being alive so that's a, a unit that probably someone needs to take a look at and say maybe it doesn't need all of those things um and that probably tones down demons quite a bit just from that change right there. At least until they can get a codex that makes them a little more fun and have some more interactivity. All right. Uh, and then, um, real quick, do you think there's any factions that might that might pop up um, and be problem factions in the future? Maybe Custodes or Sisters, or or do you think other than that, everything's kind of cool? I think Sisters are, are have the biggest potential to be a problem faction in the near future. Um, the changes to special weapons... Um, made a good faction even better. Uh, so we'll have to see if we can even have events in the in the next couple of months. Um, exactly where they end up, they're already, you know, in that upper tier as it is, and I can they only got better. So they would be the faction I would watch and uh, be mindful of right now. It's hard to say what'll happen once we see Dark Angels and Blood Angels supplements come out if they you know have something that's absolutely silly. But uh, Sisters of Battle is the is the faction that I personally am keeping my eye on, and I'm watching you know RTT results, casual game results. People are uh, shoving into ITC Battles app, like whatever I can, just to get a feel for like, are they a problem faction? 
Couldn't agree more, Peter. I feel like um, I'm rubbing my hands together with glee after that special weapons change. Um, uh-huh. And I'm really excited to go back to tournaments and play my sisters once I finished modeling them. <laughs> yeah, sisters, I think if I didn't pick up Necrons, I think sisters were going to be the other faction I absolutely would want to pick up. Um, they do look like they have the most play. The Miracle Dice mechanic is so good. It especially rewards really smart, intelligent play. Um, yeah, so, all right. We're coming up around the 52-minute mark. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move on to the smaller second segment of the podcast. Uh, we will keep it brief. Uh, we'll talk about one matchup in the Magic Carpet Used Fly tournament bracket um, right after this commercial break. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. And we are back. All right. Uh, like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, if you want to head on over to Magic Carp Used Fly on YouTube, uh, the Mag- the Carp crew, uh, they jumped headfirst into Warhammer 40k, uh, and they are definitely competitive curious. Um, their their lists are not optimal. They've also had a hard time getting a hold of models, uh, like the majority of us have. Uh, right now, it, it's it it's like it's like everything is going against you if you want to actually have like a comp- if you want to build like a competitive list, right? There's like tons and tons of really good units and models that are just being sold out by GW um for across the board for all factions, not just for Space Marines or or the popular ones. Uh so building a competitive list right now uh isn't necessarily the easiest thing to do or in you know, very encouraging because you know, you buy you you don't necessarily want to buy uh, things at double at MSRP on eBay uh, for uh, your tournament list that you're never going to bring to a tournament. You're not going to bring to a tournament for the next couple of months, right? So, having said that, uh, they are moving forward with their in-house tournament. Uh, they've admitted in the video that their lists are not optimized. That definitely there's room for improvement. But I like the Moxie. It looks like a lot of fun, and it reminds me of. The good old days of 40k when I was barely jumping into tournaments and I was dealing with my own personal local meta. So we're going to talk about one of their matchups from their brackets. And then we might, uh, if you guys like, if you guys and gals like uh, this kind of matchup breakdown um, and matchup slash list breakdown, uh, we will continue to analyze and break down matchups for the events, uh, both just to talk about their, their tournament, but also to kind of highlight win conditions, like I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the podcast, uh, and highlight uh, match up, matchups and all that good stuff. So if you like the segment, we'll continue. If you don't, we'll go ahead and stop. Just let us know in those comments section below. So the matchup we're going to analyze today is going to be the Space Wolves versus Astromel Terum game. Uh, now, I do see it was... It was, uh, looks like it was scheduled to go on today, so it might actually be happening right now as we're recording. That's okay. We're going to talk about it anyways. That's good because we're going to have even less influence on the matchup, making it as fair as possible. Uh, But if you're listening to this, 
check that game out on stream if it is actually out uh and then let us know if we did well or if we what we what we talked about actually happened i think it'd be kind of cool to be like a little pseudo commentary for their game um all right, so the, let's go over the two lists. So the first list is a Space Wolves list. Uh, this is run by John P. Uh, he's got Nyal Stormcaller, a Primaris Chaplain on a bike, a Thunder Wolf Wolf Lord with a Power Fist and a Combi Melta. Spicy. Uh, one unit of Assault Intercessors, three one unit of Incursors, two Infiltrator Squads, all five-man uh, unit of Blade Guard Veterans, a five-man, four-man unit of Blade Guard Veterans. No, five-man unit. The ah, battle scribe. Um, some wolf guard with lightning claws and storm shields. It's going to be six, five wolf guard with lightning claws and storm shields. Two five man units of thunder wolf cavalries with mixed storm shields, lightning claws, some power fists thrown in there. And then two min eradicator squads. One with a multi melta. Uh, that is uh, John P's space wolves list. So looking at this list, um, obviously there's room for improvement, right? Um, I'm not a huge fan of taking murderous hurricane uh and tempest wrath uh, no tempest wrath is which one is the minus one to hit psychic power i guess pretty space i think it's tempest wrath and it stops you from is there one that stops you from overwatching as well i think it anyways uh nyal might nyal might be um i I don't i'm not a huge fan of nyal but people are gravitating towards i like him he's actually in my opinion like averagely better than a than a normal room priest. All right. This plus one to cast comes in handy quite a lot. Yeah, and pe- people are gravitating towards those kind of like beefier, you know, support characters in the space marine lists, just because you tend to get a lot more mileage out of them. Um, so I, I, I see 140 points for a psyker and immediately kind of scoff, but um, you know, I'll take your word for it. Peter and Brandon, what do you guys think? And Skari, what do you guys think about this list? It's a Space Wolf melee list. It's got some really hard-hitting elements. Um, and remember that Space Wolves, it's very hard to charge just one unit if he's keeping everything together. So it can be a pretty good anti-melee list if you're taking advantage of the heroic intervention they all get. Um, but that said, I feel like He's missing a Judiciar or something to help with that. And I'm not a fan of his troops selections. Anyway, the specifics aren't important. The overall trend of the list is it's MSU really hard-hitting melee units. And some of the melee units are spamming Storm Shields, so he has a reasonable number of 4-up and vulnerable saves. So it's going to be very good against a list that um, does have a lot of high ap and is relying on that so like ap four or five to get through because he can just present storm shields and cut that damage in half and it would be reasonably good against other elite armies that it can get close to and punch to death Um, i'm not so sure how it would do against armies that can screen it out so some of the other lists in this event have lots and lots of bodies Um, so if it can be screened out effectively i don't think it actually has enough killing power to get through um good screens so it's got some pluses and minuses plus i think it's really strong against other msu elite armies minus i think it's bad against horde armies yeah i agree with you uh he's got he's got uh 240 points tied up in inefficient 
uh, infiltrator squads for killing hordes. Uh, infiltrator squads are really good at defensive armies that want to kind of like keep your opponent zoned out of spots and stop some kind of the deployment trickery and deep striking trickery. Um, so the infiltrator squads uh, are unfortunately they will hamstring his list going into hordes and going into most lists as well. Uh, I like the I like the outflanking eradicators. Uh, I like the I like the uh, MSU assaulting, uh, like you mentioned. I think this list probably could have used a big unit of blood claws or maybe some more assault intercessors. I mean, assault intercessors a, are amazing. If they were just yes. assault intercessors instead of infiltrators, and maybe an impulsor or two thrown in the list with some shield domes, I would have been very impressed with this. Yep, I agree. Uh, Scarry or, or Peter. I mean, uh, Brandon kind of nailed it for me. I think this is like a, a really solid starter list by uh, by all means. I really have nothing to add in terms of uh, what to to boost in it because Brandon kind of nailed what I thought was the main issues. It's a really good list. Um, it ha- if in this event that we're kind of looking at, it has a, a all the means to go all the way. I would say, um, given what he'd be up against. All right. Now let's talk about the Astra Militarum list. Now Brandon is our resident Astra Militarum player. Um, good resident, you know, qualified top tier Astra Militarum player, I should say, because uh, I do play guard, but I do not play guard as well as Brandon. Not even close. Uh, so uh, with this list, we have a Katachan list uh, with Colonel Ironhand Strachan, two company commanders, um, one with Kurov's Aquila. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and a ten infantry squads, all with las guns. Two astropaths, a, Munis- a Munitorum priest, Sergeant Harker, a unit of veterans with flamers, three scout sentinels with heavy flamers, two manticores, a wyvern, uh, one single wyvern, um, a, a Valkyrie, and then a Hellhammer, who's a the Lord of War. Tank that, it's a bane um, blade with a demolisher cannon, essentially instead of the main gun. The bane hammer. It also yes. slows people down too. No, I like that. The Hel- hellhammer does not slow people. Oh, down. sorry, I'm thinking bane hammer. It ignores cover with its main gun, right? Uh, which is like strength ten, rend three, flat three damage, with a bunch of shots. I mean, it's not a bad gun. It's pretty solid at taking out numerines, but. Let's see here. So there's a lot this does right. Like, for example, it's got two manticores in the list with full payload tank aces. Um, Full payload makes it so those manticores do flat three damage um, with their main guns, which shoot 2d6 times at strength 10 AP2 with range to the table and indirect fire. That's some pretty solid fire support for any guard list and is becoming pretty mandatory. Um, The Wyvern's nice to have. I mean, it's not super optimal um but overall it gets a lot of things right it has plenty of bodies it's got 90 guardsmen um plus their company commanders and strachan and a priest so you're not going to want to try and deal with this list with chaff because guardsmen that are catachans near those characters are going to just eat you for breakfast but it is going to struggle with those infantry into more marine equivalents to actually do any damage especially because marines are at least two wounds now so they're not going to do much damage in this matchup but they are going to provide an effective screen which is their primary role um 
other than that, I like the Astropaths. Astropaths can help you ignore cover. Um, overall, it, it, it's a good start towards a good fire base for guard with some good screening elements, and the screens can also provide some anti-horde. It, it, overall, it does what it's supposed to do. A guard list with a good mix of bodies and tanks. Great. What is it going to struggle with? Um, first of all, I feel like any army that can shoot a Hellhammer off the table in one shooting phase, it will struggle against because you cannot hide the Hellhammer. And um, it can show up from strategic reserves once and then die against that style of list. So as long as hit, as long as long the stuff that would kill the Hellhammer is like 24-inch range or so, his screen should be able to keep the Hellhammer safe for the whole game. But if that doesn't work, this list is going to fall apart fast because without the Hellhammer, his firepower is two mana cores. Yeah, I agree. Um, a list like like a couple Necron lists and Harlequin lists would absolutely eat this list alive. I love the bodies. I love you know pushing pushing your opponent back and taking the center of the board um, with a really good firebase. I think it has a good matchup going into Space Marine lists. Um, even with the Hellhammer, I, I don't think the Hellhammer is the most optimal choice. Um, I think you could probably replace the Hellhammer with a couple Basilisks, maybe a unit of Bulgrin. Um, no, the need you know, for firepower Meltagun. is still there, so the Hellhammer is filling a good role. Yes. But it's not the most optimal choice for it, simply because if your opponent can kill it from 36 inches away, and you're in a Dawn of War-style deployment zone, you cannot hide the Hellhammer your opponent will be in range and they will kill at turn one. Now, you could reserve the Hellhammer. How, in, in that instance, uh, Brandon, if you were playing with a list similar to this, um, would you consider reserving the Hellhammer at all? Yes, absolutely. Or, okay. So in some matchups, he's going to have to reserve the Hellhammer. Um, but at that point, hopefully you've taken over the table and can screen out your opponent or at least distract them with other units. So... It's not all lost. It's not like an auto-lose, but it's definitely suboptimal because, I don't know, if he'd taken a detachment of um, Talarn tank commanders or something like that, or tank commanders with 30-inch range demolisher cannons, you can actually start those on the table out of line of sight if you need to. Uh, the only nice thing about the Hellhammer, when it does come in from reserve, it shoots. Um, unlike a tank commander, when it comes in from reserve, it shoots half as much. So, I don't know. It's overall, I'd give it an A minus as far as lists go. So I think for this event, it's pretty darn solid. All right. Now let's go ahead and talk about this matchup going forward. So uh, they're, they're going to be playing um, what looks like uh, mission number 22, Battle Lines. Uh, so <clears throat> uh, while you guys pull that up, uh, I want to I want to talk about the lists uh, and how they pair up against each other. Um, so this is going to be the Space Wolves list versus the Astro Militarum list. Um, my first thought going into this matchup is the Space Wolves player is going to have a really rough time. The Hellhammer, especially if uh, Bricky, the Astro Militarum player, goes first, the Hellhammer and the Manticores are absolutely going to kill the things that tear through the Guardsmen. The Scout Sentinels absolutely make a great speed bump here if, if i were the astromel turn player i might even throw the wyvern out too i would be like you know what wyvern you're gonna move block for me because i don't really need you in this matchup you don't do anything you don't serve a purpose um 
It does depend on what secondaries John P picks. If John P thinks he can get to the he can get to the vehicles, um, I, you know he might take the vehicles. Each give up a point twice. Yeah, yeah, the the sentinels. Um, but in that instance, do you know if you're bricky, do you do you just hide your vehicles at that point, um, and then just kind of tie up the space marine units and then kill them when they're done killing guardsmen? No, that doesn't work. You have think... to commit the vehicles. Go ahead, Scary. Yeah, you have to get to the vehicles. The guard as well have like some really, you know, fun ways of shooting people. Sometimes even better than they can normally when you get charged with, um, def- you know, defensive gunners and stuff like that. It can be. It's a very interesting matchup. So you think you can just go tie up all the tanks, which you kind of have to do. But at the end of the day, like it, it's more than that, which is cool as well. Especially in the case of the home hammer, just bad touching it doesn't do anything because it still has the special rules where it can fire its main gun at other targets. Yeah, absolutely. Now the thing, one of the other things that the Astromill player kind of has to keep an eye out for is Nyal and Tempest's Wrath. I have personally seen Space Wolves uh, and Dark Angel Psychers who have basically the same power, um, you know, bring low Castellan lists just by single-handedly making them minus one to hit. Uh, making a Hellhammer hit on fives instead of fours is, you know, lowers its firepower significantly. It goes from being able to kill an MSU Space Marine squad a turn to maybe barely killing a couple models, especially with four up invulns. Um, so Nyal, Nyal's going to have a very difficult time, I think, getting within, I think, 12, 24 inches of the Hellhammer. But if he does manage to do that and get that power off multiple times on the Hellhammer, um, I could very well see John P. Spacel's list just run rampant on all the little stuff, take the center of the board and win that way. Yeah, as long as he can um, keep his dudes alive, the melee game is going to be won by the Space Wolves. So as long as the Space Wolf player has models left on the table, he's in good shape. Yeah, I mean he's gonna be his secondary scoring is gonna be massive because he's gonna take the um the bravery secondary where he charges everything because that's just free points, especially if he's using if he's trying to screen with sentinels, etc. Um, engaging all fronts for a list this fast is is guaranteed points. Um, and he's probably taking bring it down. I think in this game the secondary choices for the space wolf player are like very easy uh versus the guard player who actually has to make some some choices i'm more leaning this to be a space wolf matchup unless that hellhammer goes absolutely wild or a full payload goes ballistic and, and drops a ton of thunderwolves yeah the full payload manacores can also direct onslaught if the thunderwolves are in the open which is plus one yeah. hit with the main gun which is no joke um so it's no going to come down to some four ups, and uh, honestly, the other problem with space wolves is it's harder to screen them. Like move, move, move is one of the best abilities guard has because you can take a guard infantry squad and reliably move it about eighteen inches up the board. And if you don't have the fly keyword, which hey, thunder wolves don't, you can put a ten man squad of guard in front of them and just be like, "So I'm just over an inch away from you, and you have to go around." before you can start moving towards me. So that unit, you're speed bumped this turn. But Space Wolves are like, no, I'm just going to heroically intervene. So it's much harder to screen them with your Guardsmen. So I'm curious to see if um, the Guard player will have the movement skill to effectively keep as many Guardsmen alive as possible and prevent the Space Wolf player from just waltzing through all his Catachans. Because if those Catachans go down, the Space Wolf player wins this game handily. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, and I didn't think about that was a really good point you brought up, Peter, about the charging everything. Uh, he, the Space Wolf player also has three infiltrating units that are relatively tough. You've got obviously the incursors who are who are gonna just gonna tear through any infantry unit they touch. Um, but you also those two infiltrator squads, they're not really serving a big purpose here. Um, you could just move them as close to the enemy to the astral term as possible, get off turn one charges and start scoring right away. Um, I think if you can, I don't know if I, I haven't read the Space Wolf stratagem completely yet. I have, but I, I don't recall if if you can start scoring on turn one with it but generally the trend for the faction stratagems i've seen is that you can start scoring turn one for those uh, but they tend to be a little harder or more limited um but anyways um i i think that uh i think bricky is the more experienced player here and i think that even if the the space Wolf player gets to those you know big heavy hitting tanks and stuff um the astromill turn player has a lot of options with with just caginess and just taking over the whole board and just outscoring um so i actually predict that this is going to be a high scoring game where both players just score a ton of points um and you're definitely going to see the hellhammer uh do something and you know a lot of stuff is going to die um but it's just i don't see that space wolves list killing so much the astromel term list has a lot it has a valkyrie with veteran flamers that it can just drop somewhere and you know the hellhammer can like nuke a unit and then they can just drop a unit there on that objective and take it like it's just it's a lot and then as the space wolves player starts losing thunderwolves and losing msu marine units um it, he's gonna have trouble and then the other thing too is is you have to watch out for you know 80 70 guardsmen charging into you know something and with like three attacks each yeah if the guard player isn't using combined squads on his infantry every turn i'll be disappointed yes so it's it's a very interesting matchup um scary brandon peter did you have anything else you wanted to kind of highlight or add not really and what are your I predictions think, uh, then it just depends down to like you know what um what like uh, what secondaries are they taking? Like, how do they deploy? Like, then it starts getting really specific. All right. Uh, so let's let's talk win conditions now. Um, I, I don't want to get too much into detail, but why don't we all kind of highlight a single win condition each player might have, which is basically a win condition would be a direction or an objective that you would wish to achieve in the game that would get you closer to victory. Um, so I would start... Uh, we kind of are, I kind of already listed one, so it's cheating. But this for the Space Wolves player, one of his win conditions has to be efficiently dealing with the Hellhammer using Nyal. Like you, you, you have to like just that minus one to hit on the Hellhammer on like crucial turns three and four, uh, when that Hellhammer is going to be absolutely picking up just important units, um, is is big. Uh, I think that that should definitely be one of his win conditions. I don't think he can kill the Hellhammer um that's that's a lot of you know even with power fists killing the hellhammer is a lot of work um so i don't think the hellhammer is going to die necessarily um but he does have the know, eradicators uh, he does have the eradicators and those things will kill a hellhammer are hellhammers t8 yes, yes. They, but they don't have an invuln nope. save. I guess it's I've, i'm thinking back i'm flashbacking to when my eradicators were shooting a knight and for like three turns in a row, and Magnus, <laughs> to be fair, both have invuln saves. Um, but my Hellhammers were basically untouched both of those games, and through like 
eight rounds of shooting couldn't kill like a single knight and magnus or took like a, the full four rounds to do it um no if both eradicators they can't are just in half range of that hellhammer they will cripple it down to a handful of wounds yes i do agree with that the, the lack of the invuln really hurts the hellhammer there um old bane chassis they wish yeah bane blade chassis, they wish yeah. they had uh they had the benefit they're also cheap, though. You know, sub five hundred points is pretty cheap for a T eight model that can that can put out that much firepower. But uh, anyways, um, yeah, I think I think that's a good win condition for Space Wolves. Uh, what about you guys, uh, <clears throat> Brandon? If you were if you were just magically transported into this matchup with this guard list after the shock of uh, picking up a Hellhammer and putting it on the table uh, subsides, what would your win conditions be? As the guard player my opponent has the initiative because as long as my tanks are alive i'm winning the game so my focus would be keeping the catachans alive for as long as possible and making sure that my firepower continues to shoot the whole game so i win if the mana cores run out of missiles and the hellhammer is alive at the end of the game on objectives and i have guardsmen if all those conditions are met i win so um that would be my focus is preserve my forces and grind my opponent to dust. Um, so conversely, the Space Wolf player needs to obliterate as many guardsmen as possible as quickly as possible while preventing the tanks from shooting effective targets as often as possible. So if they can, for example, uh, zone the guard player away from objectives while being out of line of sight and just keep the Hellhammer away from usefulness, then they can still win. As long as the guardsmen are dead, because otherwise, every turn, the guard player can obsec him off his primary objectives pretty effectively until he runs out. All right. Peter and Skari, do, do either of you have win conditions to add to that? Not to add to it. Not really. I think, uh, I think Brandon's got it pretty down pat. I think you'd know that if anybody would know the matchup well, it would be you. I agree. I, I I agree. Um all right. So uh final predictions. I, I predicted guard to win um in a high scoring game by a margin of uh, ten, fifteen points. I think it'll be a pretty close game. But what do you all think? Uh I'm not familiar with the players, but apparently this bricky guy is the one everyone thinks is going to win the whole thing and he's playing the guard. So based on that, I'd put it in his favor. Yeah. This game is is so much more than just factions and lists, right? It is it's player skill. Given what we've we like what little we know about the players, it does feel like this would be a guard win, uh, just based off of like what they feel. Um, that being said, if if I was putting list versus list, um, I would give it to the wolves. So this is I think going to be an extremely close matchup. I you know what to be different, I'm going to say wolves win by like five maybe less just to be different even though i expect it'll be the better player just to be different all right scary i think um experience has a big thing has a like has a big impact on how you play an army so i definitely have to go for the more experienced player all right astral Terum. okay uh let us know in the comments uh what you think uh, don't cheat if the game has already happened, uh, after you're done listening to this episode, if you haven't checked out the game yet, uh, put your prediction in the comments section and then come back 
and edit your comment and let let us know how you did uh we're going with the honor system there uh all right that's it that's the episode thank you so much brandon scari and peter for coming on if anyone wanted to hear your voice or or contact you to have, ask you more information about ninth edition or your life or whatever uh, where can they find you your respective areas who wants to go first so <laughs> i think scary wants to go oh, yeah. <laughs> i just didn't want to be interrupting anyone well i'm scary find me on patreon scardcast um, if you're a Dark Eldar player, get excited because come January, oh my goodness, you have no idea. Let's hope so. And uh, besides finding me, Brandon, here, um, I do still have my Guard Facebook page going. And if you hit me up on Facebook, I can certainly add you to that. Certainly with the dearth of tournaments, we've had less to talk about. But I think we're pretty close to an ideal Guard list right now, at least a, a pure one allies who knows so come on in i'm really intrigued about the uh, idea of putting in retributors or uh, i'm sorry not retributors, um the put slashy sisters uh, that i repentia thank you i'm really intrigued about the idea of putting in repentia into a guard list um because that sounds really nasty really really anyways peter um you can find me you know places um I do a podcast sometimes, Stat Center. Not a lot of tournaments. We're not really doing that. I have a website, 40kstats.com. I suppose you could send me a message there. Or just take a look, take a look at the stats for yourself. On Monday or Tuesday mornings, I go on the 40k adjacent show over on the Honest War Gamer, where we talk. Um, we try our best not to talk about 40k, but somehow we always end up doing it. And that's really about it. All right, and then as always. The Frontline Game, this episode was brought to you by the Frontline Gaming Network. Uh, we do have a Patreon for Chapter Tactics. If you'd like to consider supporting us, uh, you get to ask us questions that we answer live at the end of every episode. Uh, we also do giveaways. This month, we're giving away a $150 Frontline Gaming Hobby Box. Uh, one I had to beg Reese and Frankly for because we sold out of them so quickly, but they were nice enough to give the podcast one or sell us, sell the podcast one, excuse me. Um, I still had to buy it, but... Uh, so we did get our hands on one of those hobby boxes. Um, I've seen the contents in that hobby box. I think it's absolutely worth the value. And it's certainly worth the $5 a month subscription for the Patreon uh, to win. So uh, get check that out. And then also uh, we're, we're doing random streams on Facebook in our Patreon group. So if you want to uh, play some Among Us or games with us, uh, we're also going to start recording the episodes live and streaming them live on Facebook as well so that the patrons can talk to us and ask us questions every episode. Uh, we didn't do it this this week just because I didn't have enough time to prepare for it, but I tested it. It's ready to go. Uh, I just need to get 15 minutes before the show to get it all hooked up um, and good. So starting next week, patrons look forward to that. If you're interested in that, you can download it to patreon.com slash chapter tactics. All right. Speaking of patron questions that we answer live at the end of every episode, we'll go ahead and do that right now, um, starting with patron Kelsey. Um, what advice would you give to each of the players before they head into their match? So just uh, general advice. These are new, casually competitive or competitive curious players who haven't been to, you know, uh, I actually I don't, shouldn't say haven't. Um, uh, they, they, they are newer to competitive 40K, uh, at least some of them are. 
Um, so what would you give? Them, what advice would you give them going into these matches with their buds? Uh, so I, I have some advice. Um, uh, <clears throat> I would say these matches aren't they're for fun. Uh, try to focus on fundamentals and work on improving your list that you have right now. So treat this treat this tournament, this bracket tournament. Obviously, have fun, put on a good show, um, but treat it like an RTT. You know, uh, there's room for improvement. This isn't like the end all be all. If you want to limit test, this would be the perfect time to do that. Uh, and then just try and grow and improve. Yeah, if this is just a like a little RTT amongst friends and whatnot, or even like any RTT really, just have fun with it. You know, don't don't just don't get over, over don't overly complicate it in your own head. Um, and especially if you're thinking of doing this multiple times over many many years, you know, one little event isn't going to impact like you know what happens ten years from now or whatever. So so just take it easy. Yeah, I think we just had an episode on not psyching yourself out during events that could be helpful. But um, don't sweat it. If you lose every game, I hope you still have a good time. And if that's possible, then you can't really have a bad time. Uh, patron Paul wants Peter and Val to know that he misses you both Aww. on his commute to work every week. Oh, thank you, Paul. I miss you. Uh, I... I do kind of miss 40k stat center too i i miss all of that awesome tournamentness that comes with it anyways moving on patron nathan wants to know uh with dark elder getting a from the ground up redo what do you think they need to be more competitive scary um well first of all i think the troops need to be looked at a little bit like objective secured and the way that you kind of like capture and hold objectives is a huge part of uh the addition right now i think that's a very important part of it um other than that just reworking some of the other like you know, from the preview that they that they kind of talked about and whatnot it's quite exciting to to potentially look at them you know having the ability to sort of like mix and match obsessions and a detachment and whatnot but it's really i think it's just a reworking of like the efficiency of units versus their point cost versus how durable or how killy they are so you know if they increase the killiness uh for the point cost then that's fine if they decrease uh the killiness but increase the effectiveness for the points that's fine so all in all like i always recommend make sure that you like just keep an open mind when you're you know just keep an open mind when when uh when there's a new when there's like a new new uh codex coming all right patron dan wants to know uh red or green chili uh and then also what is the next step in using metadata to improve tournament play so i feel like the second question was intended for the falcon but red versus green chili mm. mix and match live the dream i like chili like like chili like what you put in a uh, hot dog sometimes or chili like salsa. I was thinking he meant salsa. I was thinking he meant salsa too. I like green chili. I I I used to be a big fan of red, but I've I've since adopted the green uh, chili a little more because it's delicious. So Peter, any anything on the horizon with improving how we all, uh, interpret data? Yeah, what is the next step in using metadata to improve tournament play? I think we're 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 essentially there. We just need events. Um, the ability now to track 
go first win rates to track um, mission uh, performance to track secondaries. We're starting to do it. It's on the low end, but you can get really good data out of it already. So if we can just get, you know, past this kind of COVID state, I think we're already in a place to move to the next step where we can start to analyze like how the game actually plays and make it better. Um, just the, just looking at secondaries, being able to say, well, you know, you know 90% of people are scoring uh, 13 or more points on target priority um, probably means target priority needs a little bit of a tweak because uh, there's no reason not to take it. You're just always going to max your score or, or come pretty close. Um, like stuff like that is is the next step and we're we're there. We just need the events to show it off, to show off exactly what we can do. Because I think right now there's still too much pushback because we're, you know, in a COVID state because there's so few GTs, even though we have, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of games of data, to be able to to wipe out all of the excuses is really the next step. Um, I agree one hundred percent. I think another step is uh, maybe not necessarily a step, but a, a something that could provide a step is the new GW app. Um, so I understand it's getting a lot of flack. However, it has the potential to be massive in in that department. Um, it could track how many people, what, how many units people are putting in lists, uh, what people are bringing to when they play other lists. What, um, you know, if they integrate more things to it, it basically has a lot of potential there. Um, and then I also think the next step is. Uh, for us as a community is grabbing the stats that Peter mentioned and then putting them into breaking them down into next gen stats that you can use uh, to predict turns in games to, to me that's like the next big step like having the ability to say like okay the Space Wolves list into Harlequins scores an average of like seven points on turn three right when they take this objective something something like that like really, really good, true next gen stats. Um, that's, and I think we're really close to all of that, which which is very exciting. Yep, and I mean we're pretty close. Once we can, the other step, the other thing we need is um, a circuit, like a legit circuit. Because then not, you can compare players. A, uh, like if we can get a circuit with like that's enclosed in terms of the the players that we have, we could do so much. That would be like the. I shouldn't say that's the next step. That's like a three or four steps down the line, maybe. But man, I would love that if I uh, because you can create such a controlled environment that you can really tell what's happening. Anyway, that's the future. I agree. All right, and then finally, patron Donald wants to know how excited is Scary for the new Dark Eldar Codex. Well, if you would have been paying attention to the Instagram posts, you would have seen my face. <laughs> no, um, I'm very, very pumped. It, you know, it's been, what, three years or so since the Dark Eldar Codex? Something it's like been that. a while. Two years? Two and a half? I know. Yeah, two and a half. Yeah, it was like it just 2018 over two or something. So I'm excited. Yeah. I ha What's cool about collecting a single faction is you have everything. So as soon as, uh, you know, other than them releasing new stuff, as soon as a new codex comes out, you can literally look at your collection and go, hmm, I wonder what is going to be cool. And you just run that. I Scary, mind... I have a question for you. Yeah. Oh my god, I... <laughs> we both have questions for you. Go ahead, Peter. Okay. Um, how's the Tantalus doing for you? It is doing amazing. 
<laughs> I've been running it as Dark Techno Monster. I won a tournament uh, recently with it. Uh, this weekend, actually. Uh, played against, like, Deathwing Knights and Horde Orcs and a whole bunch of different stuff. And that Tantalus did work. Like, it just wrecked stuff. <laughs> it was great. Because I may have gone on, like, a, a, th- a tangent on a recent podcast about how good I thought it was without really knowing my stuff. So, <laughs> good. <laughs> you know Feeling what? Vindicated. Yeah, that you are 100% vindicated because it, it was... Like killing Terminators and Space Marines and like orcs by the you know for the longest time I played it as if it was sixteen wounds, and then when I found out not. it was eighteen, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I have two extra wounds. Do you know how many wounds it has survived most games with? Two, one or two, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's a plus. You lobbed that one up for me. Yeah, Thanks. You're welcome. You're welcome. right on. Uh, I was going to ask about the two damage incubi, but Peter's question was so much more compelling. Uh, well, I can answer that question too. There's strength five, two damage base for the same power level, which you know leads me to believe they're going to be about the same amount of points. Um, good. Yes, please. And like pretty, what five attacks? Uh, three attacks each, and then uh, you know who knows what other what stratagems they might get. You know, wow, yeah, cool if they got AP two, two damage sounds ideal for this. Three, move. yeah, AP three. Oh, AP three. The only thing, five. oh yeah, the the only thing that I could see maybe bringing them down, um, is if they like don't get the core keyword and the dark elder lose the ability to like move them up the board, which I don't see being an issue because because they you still have like raiders and. Venoms and stuff. So and tantalus is and tantalus is yeah your cloud tantalization. Yeah. All right. So that is it, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You are all, of course, the best listeners in the world. And as always, Peter with the outro. Have a good one. Bye bye.